0: And Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher and I'm here talking with my dad, Robert Robb, who is writing on Substack, robertrob.substack.com. On today's episode, I want to talk about the political dynamics shaking up at the Capitol uh, in this legislative session right now and then also zoom in and focus on the issue of housing uh, and how we can uh, solve the housing shortage here in Arizona. So uh, political dynamics right now are, are very divisive and testy. We have a divided government. We have Katie Hobbs, Democrat, as the governor, and we have both houses uh, controlled by the Republicans. Uh, and the divisiveness is on display daily. Um, they're, the Republicans are fighting Hobbs on on her nominees uh, for the for the her, her departments, uh, and uh, unusually, uh, the Republicans also just passed a uh, a budget early, saying it's a continuation budget, and Hobbs just vetoed that budget today, uh, and so there's there's some fighting also about that. So first question here. Um, Could Hobbs have done anything differently as an incoming Democratic governor working with the Republican legislature? Could she have done anything differently to help the relationship and to to lead to more constructive bipartisan solutions as you were hoping for at the beginning of the session? Uh, Nothing uh, that I think uh, would have had a
1: substantial or meaningful effect uh, the only things that come to mind uh, would be uh, not putting a, a repeal of universal vouchers in her budget. That was very provocative, and uh, it may have appealed to uh, her base, but uh, it was—it did set a wrong ter- tone in terms of saying the first thing she wants to do, or one of the first things she wants to do, is to repeal one of the singular. Uh, accomplishments uh, of the last legislature from the standpoint of Republicans. And the other thing was would have been uh, not to vow uh, to call a special session on uh, abortion. Uh, She ended up because of an intervening court decision deciding not to do that but again that was um, picking a fight on something that's a core value for the Republicans. But even if she had not done those two things, my guess is we'd be exactly where we are. It seems that there is a united Republican caucus in both houses uh, committed uh, to attempting to politically wound and incapacitate Hobbes to the maximum extent possible and to pass as many base-pleasing pieces of legislation as they can uh, knowing that they are all v- veto bait, uh, and I don't know that there was anything that Hobbs could have done uh, to prevent that attitude from coalescing and resulting in the
0: unhealthy dynamic that we currently have. And you, but 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 she did not have the special session. Maybe she got bailed out by the bailed out politically by the court decision to uphold the 15-week ban and not the, not the other ban. But you think even, even just maybe even talking about that and even slipping in that voucher thing, I mean, did that have any effect or is this just total, total opposition from the get-go? There's nothing she'd done. Should she go aggressively on her own? I mean, if there's going to be scorched earth on the, on the Republican side, how do you, as a Democratic governor, how do you then handle that? Um
1: again, I think I think those things were provocative. They were picking fights about core Republican uh, values. But even if she hadn't done them, I still believe we'd be where we are. so I don't think, I don't think that we can blame what's happening now uh, to Hobbes. I think it is all a commitment on the part of uh, the Republican uh, caucuses. Uh, in terms of where she goes from here, um, there is still a day of reckoning coming. Uh, a state budget needs to be passed. There, the state has tons of money. Uh, the prospects of a, a recession um, appear to be uh, moving at least further into the future. Uh, one does not seem to be imminent. Uh, so there is no reason why it shouldn't be possible to craft with the money available a bipartisan budget uh, that funds the priorities of both the governor and the democrats in the legislature and the republicans who are in control of both houses there will be for such a bipartisan compromise budget a element of the republican caucus that will not ever go along with it, and what I'm not seeing, and why I am highly pessimistic of what we're going, of where we're going, uh, is um, a Republican leadership that's willing to pass a budget with all Democratic votes and maybe half of the Republican caucuses. Um, so I think we're headed for a true. Um, standoff, political standoff. Um, And I think I I frankly don't have any very good advice to offer uh, the governor as to how she might prepare for that. But I think she needs to be prepared for two things. One, the Republicans not being able to pass a budget that she's willing to accept. And two, uh, staffing her administration uh, in light of a uh, of Republicans trying to pretend like they won the governor 's race rather than she won the governor 's race and dictate who can and cannot serve in her administration
0: so another question by the budget, and then i 'll ask a, a specific question about the uh, about the nominating process before going to the specific issue of of housing. so the Republicans just passed the, the what they're calling a continuation budget and has vetoed it today and the messaging from the republicans is we we did the responsible thing we passed a budget that's that's operable and it's her fault for refusing what should be a reasonable bu- budget and and then we can negotiate about the extra stuff we disagree on later um how how who is going to win that messaging war and and what what does that look like to the to the public, to the voters that are that are witnessing this play out at home? The, the, this
1: was, as you accurately describe it, a messaging step because they knew it was going to get vetoed, and it is an attempt to uh, deflect any blame for a subsequent government governmental shutdown on Hobbes. Uh, and Republicans always delude themselves in thinking that they can win. Uh, the politics of a government shutdown, and they never do and they never will, because from the public standpoint, the public's perspective, and it has some truth to it, Democrats are the party of government. Uh, they they want to keep government alive and to keep it operating and to expand it, uh, and Republicans are skeptical or hostile to government. Uh, so... Uh, the public's not going to get into the nitty-gritty of who did what when. Uh, They're just going to fall to their natural instinct, which is that Democrats like government more than Republicans. So if it's shut down, it's the fault of the Republicans, not the Democrats. It's happened in every single time at the federal level. And I'm utterly confident, just in terms of a matter of political analysis, that it will happen if the Republicans aren't willing to... Uh, engage in a development of a bipartisan
0: compromise and we have a government shutdown here at the state. So the so the poli- so the politics of it playing out if there's a shutdown favor the Democrats.
1: Absolutely, <clears throat> they always do.
0: And then let's let's talk about so the the one nominee the uh, for the department of of health that Haas put forward was Teresa Cullen. She was uh, the health director down in Pima County, and it was very clear from what from what her stance was on the on the, for the public health response for the pandemic that she was unacceptable to the to the Republicans, and and so they went through this this um, you know the the committee hearing and she got grilled. You know I didn't watch it. Myself, but I but I read about it, and I, I saw an interview with on Horizon with Senator T.J. Shope, who was part of that um, interview confirmation process. And, and one of the things that he said in the interview um, with Ted Simon was that well, he criticized Hobbs for not preparing her nominee for this process. Like you should be prepared that this is going to be a brutal questioning process, and she she should have been better had better prepared for that. And, and my response to that is, well, so if she ans- if she was better prepared and she answered the questions exactly, you know, more prepared, you would have considered the Republicans would have considered her and 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 maybe even confirmed her. It's like no, you wouldn't have. So I don't know what that is. Maybe it's like a just a warning. Like every single person that Hobbs tries to put in in one of these positions is just going to get a just going to get torn apart and and maybe even rejected out of hand i mean what how would how do you approach is hobbs going to get any nominees for these positions confirmed
1: i I assume that the republicans will be at least somewhat strategic uh, and not universally reject her nominees um, which would make it transparent to the public uh, that this isn't a serious exercise of appropriate confirmation authority uh, this is an attempt to incapacitate uh, Hobbs in her ability to uh, administer state government um, and I think you're exactly right it wouldn't have mattered how polished uh, she was in her answers uh, she uh, favored um, a lockdown and mask up approach to COVID and, and uh, Republicans in the legislature think that that was the wrong policy. I wrote a piece earlier about why a policy dispute is an inappropriate uh, reason to reject a gubernatorial nominee of the opposite party. The question of what the policy should be in the executive branch was settled by the gubernatorial election, and Hobbes won. I will also say as someone who opposed lockdowns in mass mandates from the get-go uh, and uh, favored uh, protecting uh, the vulnerable populations while letting everybody else make their own risk assessment and uh, let uh, things work out the way that they work out, um, that uh, in my judgment we should have an amnesty for everybody uh, on what position you took during covid Uh, because we didn't know at the time what the right approach was. In reality, we don't know now what the right approach was. It was a novel virus uh, with uh, unusual pathological characteristics. Uh, And Dr. Cullen is extremely well qualified for the position of Director of Health Services, uh, both by her professional and academic background and by her administrative experience. Um, so um, yeah, I, I think it was an inappropriate exercise of confirmation authority to reject someone because Republicans disagree with her policies, even though Hobbs agrees with them. She should have the right to have qualified nominees who share her point of view about policy. Um, and in general, I just think that uh, we need to have a a uh, COVID amnesty uh, rather than continue to relitigate this over and over again.
0: Yeah, I definitely endorse the idea of giving each other more grace on on that. I don't anticipate that it will happen in our the, the way our politics is right now. But and then I also you know I think the confirmation. Process as you as you describe, I would agree that it's that function. But it seems like we'll see. But it seems like the Republicans have the stance of, hey, this is a check on, and and show, Senator Shope even said this in the interview is like we we see ourselves as a check on these positions because they're going to have power, and it's our duty to to check them. But you know, <clears throat> if you're never going to agree with a Democrat on any person, then. That's tough, but, but she can't appoint someone for a year, up to a year uh, without a confirmation, right? Well, that may lead us to um, a litigation fight because what
1: approach would be for her to appoint people to some of these positions, but then not submit the nomination uh, for confirmation? Uh, the law says that they can serve until... Confirmed or rejected by uh, the state Senate. Um, but the law also says that when the governor chooses someone for uh, a position, uh, that the nomination uh, should be delivered to the Senate promptly. Um, so while it is true that state law says that an unconfirmed appointee uh, can serve for up to a year, A rejected appointee can't, uh, and the law says that any appointment should be submitted to the Senate promptly. So if she chose to try to staff her administration with one-year appointments and just not pass them on to the Senate, undoubtedly the Senate would sue uh, and say, you're not
0: uh, submitting these things to us promptly. All right. Let's transition and talk about specific policy uh, question, which is on housing. And commonly uh, reported that we've got at least two hundred and fifty thousand units short of, of what we would need, and and the housing prices are and rent prices are are very high here in in Phoenix. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that are priced out of the of the Kind of be the basic housing they they would want, or the or the kinds of adequate housing they would um, they would want and need for them and their families. Um, I know that so Democrats have proposed um, allowing rent uh, rent control and also kind of allowing for more subsidies through the Housing Trust uh, Authority. Uh, Republicans have put forward uh, a couple. Things. one of them was to uh, reduce or get rid of the taxes on on rents but then the other one that i know that you see more favorably is the um um representative kaiser's bill to um to basically allow a lot more basically um kind of inject supply into the into the market um so so walk us through your, your, your views on maybe the, the origin of the problem and why, why you see increasing supply as, as the right way to go.
1: We're never going to be able to achieve the amount of single-family homes for lower-middle-class and middle-class families uh, through the subsidization route, or the other route that's uh, favored uh, by some, and that municipalities argue for, uh, is afford- affordable housing set asides in developments that are devoted primarily for other things. We're simply never going to scale up um, to the extent that we need to with lower middle for lower middle class and middle class single family residents you have to increase or get rid of some of the supply constraints. And I don't believe municipalities can ever be expected politically to do that. Uh, So I do believe the approach of creating a state uh, uh, by right entitlement to build um, these kind of homes and sharp restrictions on the kind of amenities that cities through their building codes uh, can layer on them uh, in order to create the opportunity for um, the supply side to work. There's a demand for this kind of housing, uh, and uh, builders, if they can make a profit doing it, uh, would be happy to build it. Uh, We don't have it because we have priced out of the market through our land use policies, um, the ability to build those homes at a profit, and
0: nothing else uh, will meet the demand. And just to correct, uh, Senator Kaiser, not Representative Kaiser, that's SB uh, 1117, uh, passed last week out of the Senate committee um, that would boost Boost supply by by basically preventing the municipalities from putting all these uh, all these restrictions. Some of the some of the counterpoints against that would be that you know municipalities um, or smaller communities would want to, you know, have more control over what their you know what the standards are for what their neighborhoods are are looking like and keeping it, you know, um, kind of looking the way the way it does with the with the kinds of, of buildings that are there and that there maybe is no guarantee that that those, you know, that those affordable housing would, would, be, would be built. Well, if it's not built,
1: then you don't have to worry about the <laughs> degradation of, of the character. I, one person in the industry described the problem this way. Um, every municipality wants to be Scottsdale. No municipality wants to be Maryvale. Well, we need Maryvilles. Um, We need single-family residential homes that are affordable for lower-middle-class and middle-class families. Uh, And uh, our our current restrictions um, do not provide a robust enough market for the development of those homes. And we're not going to substitute for that uh, through subsidization. It simply can't be done at the scale that... It needs to be done in order to meet uh, the need. Um, so, um, I if I thought that you could count on municipalities to to solve this problem on their own, I wouldn't favor overriding uh, their uh, zoning and um, building code and and uh, amenity um, building standards. I am persuaded that you won't ever see that. So, the only way we're going to resolve this problem, which is a huge one, an important one, is to override their ability to do it, do that, and take Kaiser's approach of creating zoning by right
0: so why not um why not just allow price controls? what's wrong with that?
1: Well yeah, that's the way you get less of something, not the way you get more of something <laughs> so I mean I, that deals more with apartments. I'm I I don't think we've got the problem with the apartment market that we have with the single family um, home market. Uh, I, I, there are lots of new apartments being built. Uh, I think in part there's an artificial increase in in rents because of the unaffordability of. Uh, buying a home as an alternative. If we can solve that part, I think we will reduce the upward pressure on rents. Uh, but to the extent there is a perceived shortage, rent control is the way you make it worse, not the way you make it better.
0: What's your thoughts on a different proposal to get rid of the taxes on uh, on rents? It
1: makes sense to me. Um, municipalities. Uh, uh, are arguing that they need that money. And, and if the state's going to say, well, you can't collect it this way, I think that there is um, a reasonable argument to say that uh, the uh, percentage of the uh, state sales tax that uh, the cities uh, get or, or the uh, state income tax that the cities get um, should be increased to compensate municipalities for, for what they're going to lose. Uh, but since um, housing rents tend to uh, fall disproportionately on uh, those of lesser means, uh, getting rid of a tax on it, um, I think as a matter of sound um, tax and social uh equity concerns make sense.
0: Going back to, so last question on this housing uh, thing, do you think politically um, any of the bills that the Republicans would pass on housing would get a signature from Democrat Katie Hobbs? The the
1: Democrats are not um, all in concrete against the idea of overriding, uh, to at least some degree, uh, the municipal ability to uh, establish standards that make um, middle, lower middle class and middle class homes uh, impossible or, or difficult to, to build and, and to succeed.
0: And duplexes and fourplexes, all those are also yeah. Yeah. So, zoned in. So, so there is
1: some open-mindedness uh, among Democrats uh, for doing that. Um, Now, last year, the compromise, when it was a bipartisan proposal, uh, was a substantial increase in the housing trust fund, uh, which is used to subsidize um, homes and uh, rents and prevent evictions. That was dropped from Kaiser's bill this year. A large $150 million appropriation to the housing trust fund is in Hobbs's budget. So if there was goodwill, which is missing, um, I think this is something on which a bipartisan compromise or proposal wouldn't necessarily be a compromise, might be able to be constructed. Um, I do think Kaiser is serious about trying to do this. Uh, In last year, he was open-minded to doing things that would attract Democratic votes. Um, Whether he's in a political environment this year, uh, that provides room for that, I think is, um, an open question and, and
0: considerable doubt about it. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to our final question. Do you think, uh, Kevin Durant has any shot to beat Trump in the Republican nomination? For president? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was, uh, we got, we got. Maybe we ought got to run an athlete mixed up. We got, we got Nikki Haley running against Trump, and we got Kevin Durant here in the Suns. So he's got <laughs> Kevin Durant's got one more year before he's eligible to be, uh, to be president. But um, Phil Boas said it was the the worst trade ever. What do you think about? What do you think about? Uh, a little extreme, but maybe. You know, to be as, to be determined. Right? As,
1: as always on on this subject, your your views are far uh, better informed and valuable than mine. Um, I I certainly wouldn't describe it as the worst trade ever, or, or even a bad trade. I think it net uh, is disadvantage uh, is a trade that should not have been made. I think that we are. Um, Taking an opportunity uh, to compete for uh, a championship for five to seven years uh, with uh, Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson, and exchanging it for um, a chance to compete for a national championship for the next two to three years.
0: Yeah, I like I like Durant a lot. Uh, I, I even supported him going to the to the Warriors because I just think he's a pure. He's a pure basketball player, and even though he was going to the, to the team that beat him, and the, he just likes to play good basketball. I think that's gonna be, this is going to be fun to watch for, for a basketball town and help win the championship. But uh, Nikki Haley, though, last, last thing, Nikki Haley. Any, any chance someone like that, you know, I know she's been pro-Trump in the past. She's going to have to say good things about his administration, but is there a chance that her lane— which is not a culture warrior, fire breather, is there any chance that something like that can turn the, turn the tide on this mega hold that's got on the party?
1: I, I don't know that she's a big enough national political figure uh, to change the dynamics of the race um, on her own initiative. Um, if Trump falters... Uh, then I do think the question of what does the Republican Party stand for becomes a more open question, and um, perhaps the argument of someone like uh, Nikki Haley um, or someone let's let's say a, a pragmatic conservative, because I think she sort of cashiered her standing yeah, with. with yeah. Uh, On that subject, by her participation in the Trump administration and what she said while she was a member of the administration. So I don't know that she's the best standard bearer for a pragmatic, conservative, uh, non MAGA lane. But if Trump falters, rather than it being a default to DeSantis as the non Trump Trump, I think it does. Open the door yeah. for a broader discussion about what does the party stand for and what kind of nominee should it put forth. Yeah.
0: Well, I, even though I'm a big never Trumper, I'm willing to offer some amnesty over past past statements or or maneuvering just to get beyond this just to get beyond this era we're in. I mean, it's, it would be to me it would be tragic for for Trump to be the nominee again after you know. After all that we've seen, I mean, after the what you've called an attempted coup, and after the, um, you know, everything <laughs> that, that we've seen, so I'm I'm cheering on anyone that's willing to <laughs> anyone willing to take take that mantle and, and steer the steer the Republican Party in a in a healthier direction. So, uh, well, let's leave it there for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the. Political Notebook Podcast. You can find us on uh, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Casts, any podcasting app. Thank you.